Why do you think that is that you have such a, a big following in with, you know, with that particular role? I'm not expecting any money. Uh, all the admins in ABA study groups just generally love ABA. You know, some people like to play video games. Other people like to garden. We like to talk ABA. Thank you and welcome to the very first podcast. I couldn't have picked a better guest, a longtime fan of yours. I took your training back and I want to say 2000. 16 or 17, you, you've been such a, a big force in the community, especially for, you know, RBTs and having a place to go, knowing that there's just always somebody there to, to give advice. There hasn't been one time I haven't reached out to you that you haven't been available and open and that's just, you're just a gem. So really excited to have you on the WTF ABA podcast. So welcome, Nick. Appreciate having you on the show. And as I just mentioned, you know, just that cult following and how I found you, why do you think that is that you have such a, a big following in with, you know, with that particular role? Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, it all stems back to our, the ABA study group that I'm an admin of. So back mm -hmm. in 2013 was when I was studying for my BCBA exam. And what I found at that point was that there were not a lot of wonderful Facebook resources to help you study. You're kind of like an island on, you know, by yourself. And uh, I found it really challenging, particularly with the Facebook groups that were existing for support. Everyone was kind of attacking each other. It wasn't a very friendly environment. It was, you'd ask a question and everyone would make snarky comments about why, why would you ask that question? You should know this because what coursework, not a lot of support. So. Yeah. What I would always say to myself is that when I was in that position, when I learned the science very well, when I became a BCBA, I wanted to help people learn the science and understand it, provide that support that I, I wasn't getting. So when I did pass my BCBA and when I felt I was, I was ready, I aligned myself with ABA study group, which is a Facebook group. Like we have about 51,000 members right now. Congratulations. And what I started doing. Thanks. <laughs> and what I started doing and the other admins have been doing as well is interactive Zoom sessions. So we just put up a Zoom link with, hey, we're doing a Zoom session for an hour, hop on it. And I got to meet so many people around the world doing that. And it was wonderful. And the, the, the fun thing about doing it is that there's no money involved. You know, we're not charging any money. I'm not expecting any money. Uh, all the admins in ABA study group just generally love ABA. You know, some people like to play video games. Other people like to garden. We like to talk ABA. So that's really what we do. And uh, it's just been wonderful connecting with people. So I've, I've actually connected with people since 2015, since we've been doing it. And it's just been, been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to, get to meet a lot of new people in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's where I found you and you had such a presence beyond just the Zoom, like you said, you created such a nice space for people to ask questions and get some answers. And really, you know, nowadays there are some groups out there where I just see some information that is, it's, it's a group of people that's not really, nobody is really monitoring it, right? And it's just kind of yeah. a, a free flow space where there's misinformation. And so what I really liked about your group and still very much like about the group is that there there's a lot of BCBAs on there giving advice and making sure to redirect when, when it's a question that's too specific. And so 
you know, my question for you that I'm curious is what do you think is currently needed in the space? Do you feel like it has changed over time? Yeah, I've definitely been seeing a lot of, a lot of changes. And I think for the positive, I, but I, I'm, I'm naturally an optimist. So I, think yeah. I would say that anyway. But what I do like seeing is that now there's more of a focus on compassionate and this didn't exist. I certainly didn't exist 10 years ago, five years ago, it wasn't existing as, as much as it is now, where we're focusing on teaching compassionate skills of, of identifying interventions that are compassionate, focusing on teaching soft skills, so something that's, that's lacking. And I think that we can always as, as practitioners better job at, and I'm seeing more of that. I'm seeing more of that in master programs and supervision curriculums. There are even new approaches like motivational interviewing. Uh, Dr. Monica Gilbert has done some interesting research on that, just focusing on soft skills, compassionate care. So we're seeing more of that and that's really optimistic. I think that's really where our field needs to go and it's nice seeing it go there. I love the optimism and a hundred percent, you know, having it, focusing on solutions, which is exactly what I hope to do with this podcast, learning about new things. I'm going to have to do some research afterwards. So. Like you mentioned, I don't garden, I don't pee, I'd like to just read everything. So, which is, you're such an avid reader. You make so many good suggestions for books, which is a big reason too why, why I follow you, but, but beyond just your, your ethical core um, as a person. So yeah, I mean, you've been really leading the charge too out in Dubai. So you've been there for about, is it, is it five years now? Seven years. I came Seven over year. in March of 2015, I had, I'd never traveled before. I, I, I had, I grew up in Northern New York. I was only on a plane once to fly down to Florida and flew back. That that's it. Not a world travel. And I was in Western Massachusetts experiencing the worst winter ever. That winter in 2015 was I think one of the worst. And I decided I'm moving somewhere warm and <laughs> I was looking for jobs in Hawaii and Florida and there was one in Dubai and I knew nothing about Dubai. I, I had no, I you know, no intentions of living internationally, but if I applied, I interviewed, I ended up getting it. And uh, six weeks after I interviewed, I was on a plane over to Dubai. And uh, when I came over here, my intention was to stay for two years. I just wanted to, you know, live here for a couple of years and, and head up back. And I fall in love with the culture here. I fall in love with the people. So I get to meet people from all around the world, UK, Pakistan, India, Philippines, Saudi. So. It's, it's wonderful for that reason alone. Just, just living here is really, really nice. But the work I get to do as well is also great because I get to train those same people from all around the world. And what's really unique is that these people come from their home countries to Dubai for a couple of years. They're not going to spend the rest of their lives there just for a couple of years. And I get to train them. I get, I get trained on a behavioral analysis to when they go back to their home country, they can set something up. They know what good quality programming looks like. And it's. It's really awesome to be a part of that. So yeah, it's, I've been here for seven years. Absolutely love it. It's not like there's just a Netflix show that came on called Dubai Bling. It's not, <laughs> yeah, not, not everyone's no. driving around in a Ferrari with, you know, tigers in their car. I drive a Hyundai. That <laughs> so I'm not, I don't, sadly don't have a Ferrari. So it's, uh, you know, it's a different part of Dubai. That's the real part of Dubai, but the real part of Dubai is actually the part I really like the most, you know, I, I'm not a big, the, the, the flashy stuff, like the world's 
biggest mall, world's biggest building. It, it's it's cool for a couple of weeks, but it loses mm -hmm. its novelty very quickly. It, it's the the fact that you get to interact with people from all around the world that's really the, the major selling point there. It's pretty amazing. So it sounds like you're not hanging out with the Kardashians, and so <laughs> you have a lot of time to to really focus on your love, which is training. And I, I'm curious when you started there. And first of all, hats off to you. How brave, how brave to be able to get on a plane, never leaving and just going on the complete other side of, of the world. And it's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. But since you've been there, what have you learned training people all across the world? Like what, what is something that you've learned from being able to do that for the last seven years? So I think for me, the big first one is I'm a fast talker. And most people over here, English is their second language. So I've actually, when I'm presenting, I've learned slow it down a little bit. So something as simple as that. Uh, and also too, what's, what's really unique that's over here anyways, is that people really want to learn. I, I'll give you an example. I offer, I like to do free training. So, you know, like I like to do an ABA study group. I like to do them at my job as well. So I offered a free training on behavior skills training. I offered it in September. And I was expecting 30 people might sign up for it. It's in person. It's it got an interactive component, 30 people. I had over 900 people sign up for this thing. I've been doing it for the past 10 and I still have four more weeks to go where I've been having 50 people come in at a clip and I've been, I've been doing the training. And you know, when I first saw the 900, I was petrified. I was like, oh boy, I'm going to need a bigger training hall. But what I really liked about it was that people want to learn. Like there's, there's strong motivation. When people come to the workshops, they're there to learn. They're not playing around. They're not playing on their cell phones. They're, they're paying attention. They really want to learn. And that really serves as wonderful motivation for me to continue to do it. So I've, I've done them for the last consecutive, the 10 last Saturdays. I've got four more to go and then we'll, we'll be good. But. Yeah, it's just a lot of people want to learn in this part of the world. And it's, it's as a trainer, there's no better audience than an audience that wants to learn. No, absolutely. Who, who comprises of that? Do you have parents showing up or, you know, who, who signed up for your training? It's everybody. I've got parents, I've got learning support assistants, which are basically teaching assistants in the faith. That would be their job. Teachers, OTs, speech therapists. I actually had. Uh, to their credit, a couple people who said, look, I'm anti-ABA and I'm coming there because I want to dispute everything you say. And I welcomed them with open arms. I said, I'm, I'm happy to converse with you. I've had three people do that and all three people with a better understanding of ABA. And, and they actually like, oh, this makes more sense now. I had a misconception about it. So, um, yeah, it's been a wonderful makeup of the audience and. I actually look forward to it every Saturday, you know, instead of I used to go to the beach and now I'm going to my center to do a training, but it's as fun because I'm an ABA geek. I love this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That that's pretty amazing. I could dive in, I think a little bit deeper. So curious about that alone, just even having people from all over come in, especially those who oppose, which I think is, that's really unique and special and what you're doing there. I would love to see that more. Um, like you said, you guys walk away with this more, they walk away with like a more appreciation and, and understanding. And I think that that's where, you know, a lot of conflict in anything lies. It's just the unknown. There's no. also a lot of misinformation about ABA as well over here. And I think the challenge is, is because 
in the states, for the majority of the states, there's insurance funding. So everything's covered through an, an insurance-based predicate. In this part of the world, there's no insurance funding. Now, some people hear that, they're like, oh my gosh, that must be a dream because you have to deal with insurance companies. And I'm going to be honest, there is some wonderful parts about not dealing with insurance companies. <laughs> but the big challenge is that anyone could call themselves a behavior analyst. To be a barista three weeks ago and say, hey, I'm a behavior analyst now and provide services because the structure that exists in the States doesn't exist outside of that. So the big problem we run into is that individuals are doing quote unquote ABA based programming, which is not ABA at all. And then it's left, left them with a really poor taste about what ABA is. And ultimately it's not an accurate representation of what ABA is. So that's where, what, what's really wonderful about doing these kinds of trainings is that you get to set the, set the tone for this is what applied behavioral analysis is. This is what it does. This is what it doesn't do. So people have a, a generalized understanding of what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine being a consumer, not knowing what it is that I'm looking for and then finding the wrong thing. Well, what are you most proud of that you've accomplished out there? I would have to say it's the job I'm at right now. So I had started, I work in a center called the Dubai Autism Center. And when I started there, started in February, 2020, there was no, it was, it was a school of about a hundred learners and there was no ABA at all. It was just a generalized educational programming that wasn't really as, as effective as it should have been. And we had one RBT on staff. So when I came in, I was like, oh my gosh, I got my work cut out for me. There's no clinic existing at all. Oh my um, goodness. Almost three years later, one pandemic later, <laughs> 60 RBTs, four ABAs, four BCBAs, and myself was a BCBAD. Not to mention, we completely transformed the entire curriculum for our school. So it's now ABA-based. I've got peak essentials for living, nice. instruction, a program called Canvas, which is an ABAR-based program, AIM. And we developed our own clinic from scratch, which now just reached its 60th individual who just started. So I am so, so, so proud of the development of, of the center. And it's really my staff that I'm so happy with because what's wonderful is I, I was able to hire my own staff, which is great. So I really got to find people who were into the science who had great experience, may not have had any experience, but they wanted to learn. And I put in these opportunities where they've just done wonderful, wonderful work. So yeah, I'm, I'm so happy with what we've done there and I'm super excited to see what we continue to do in the future. Yeah. So I'm going to dig in there, Nicholas, for, for all the listeners out there who are struggling with two things that you just mentioned that I think is at least in the States that I can speak to, that's giving some, some pause and, and some, you know, some trouble which is training and recruiting, both which are, are my passions and my love, but it sounds like, you know, what I'd love to learn from you is what you have noticed works for you. And, and I know that it's particular to, to each company and each person, but what are some key things that you think you could point out for the listeners on what to look for when you are recruiting? I really look for if the individual wants to learn, that's my big thing because and I, I guess it's, well, I don't know. I don't think I would actually change if I was in the state. I'd probably look for the same criteria, but particularly yeah. in this part of the world, I'm looking for people that want to learn, that are serious about what they're doing. Those are really, really key indicators. The other thing too, it sounds like a simple thing, but it's, it's I find it to be important. Am I going to want to spend eight hours a day with this person? 
I might have somebody coming in that's that's a walking Cooper book, but if yes. I'm interacting with them, like, I don't know if I'm going to want to spend eight hours a day with you. I, I might not hire that person, uh, even though they're incredibly qualified. So really what I look for is, are you a team player? Are you going to work together as a collective? And do you want to learn? And that's really what I've done because in this work environment, I didn't have a lot of options in relation to experienced professionals. I really had to find people that wanted to learn. Out of the eight BCBAs and BCABAs, all of them started the program when I started. So, so I, I did not hire anybody that had previous experience. So this was all training. This was all building up our, our program. So yeah, just finding that passion is really, really important. How's your turnover been? It's, it's, it's very, very low. It all fairness, part of that has to do with, you have to get a work visa to work there. Mm -hmm. There are certain contractual. So I'm not, I'm not just going to say that my job place is perfect and nobody wants, yeah, it, it's, it's a little different internationally when you do that, but, but overall the turnover is really low. And, you know, some of the reasons for that is we really focus on creating a culture of support where my door is literally always open. The janitor can come into my office and tell me I'm doing a bad job and it's okay. Um, so just really creating that environment where feedback continues to develop and more importantly, give each other support to be successful. I find that that's so critical and uh, we try to go to great strides. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love to hear your feedback for ABA. So the suggestion box, right? So you know, what feedback do you have to, to try to bring everybody together? Because there seems to be a divide out there. I'm not sure if, if you've experienced that, but I'd love to hear your wisdom. You know, you don't mind talking about that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that right now, I think as a field, we've done wonderful with the science. You know, I think I, programs out there are educating future BCBAs to know what they need to know. I think it's wonderful. I think the thing that as a field, we, we continue to improve upon, and I have seen it prove, which is a good thing, but I think we can always continue to do better, is supporting the staff, creating conditions for staff to be successful under. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've met a supervisee who says, I'm leaving the field because their work environment is incredibly toxic. There's no support. There's no conditions created for, for them to be successful under. And they're like, you know what? I hate this ABA stuff. I'm going to go study something else. And it's sad, you know, particularly when we're at a point in our field right now where we need to be winning people over, you know, at, at this point in our development, we need to be getting, you know, more RBTs in, in the centers because the turnover is, it's been pretty high from what I understand in the States and be inspiring more people to want to work in this field. And if we're not creating conditions for them to be successful under that highly problematic for us. And I think as ABA providers, we need to focus on that. You know, and what's, what's really interesting is that I, I've worked with some really wonderful behavior analysts who I've learned so much from, but these same behavior analysts didn't know how to manage employees. Some of those environments were some of the most toxic environments I myself have, have worked in. And it's because. Managing people is a separate skill set. Just because you're a wonderful, you know, behavior analyst, you know the concepts of enforcement doesn't mean you're actually going to follow through. That's that's why human resources is so important. 
focusing yeah. on that aspect of the organization is critical. I think sometimes we overlook. So you and I had a conversation a while back that I just want to bring up right now, because you mentioned human resources. Do you feel like it's important or, you know, for human resources and BCBs, you know, to speak the same language, like, do you feel like there's a disconnect there that might be causing, you know, some of the capital problem, I guess, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I, th I think it's because, you know, at my organization, for example, so I, I supervise 80 clinicians, BCBAs, OTs, speech, special education teachers, and I'm really sensitive to the feedback yet from our human resource department in relation to the management of the employees, because I think sometimes as clinicians, we are, oh, look, I mean, our goal is we want yeah. our individuals that we work with to have the best quality of life possible. We want yeah. them to perform at a level yeah. that's, you know, gonna, gonna really help them improve. However, we have to make sure that we're also creating conditions for our staff to be successful under. And. I think that, uh, you know, understanding the human resource perspective of how information is emanated, if a staff isn't performing, how do you move forward? What are some things that we can really, really being yielding to them is for me, I've, I've, you know, over the last couple of years, I didn't always, you know, value the human resource department as much as I should have. I've, I've over the last couple of years, I've, I've developed that perspective and since doing that, I've, it's just produced a, a better outcome for me because it, it helps me look at it from a different perspective that I wasn't typically looking at it from. So I think it's really important to include both worldviews in the organization to work for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, such a, that's such good advice to just kind of the, the perspective taking. So we, we're coming up on time here. I wanted to dig in a little bit more about advice for, for trainers or for individuals that are in the field right now. Do you have any advice for, for anybody that's either developing a curriculum or for RBT specifically or, or just trainers in, in general in ABA? Yeah, I, I would say the big thing is the environment. Create an environment under which people can learn under. Um, what I always tell my staff and we try to focus on is conditioning ourselves as S. We talk about stimulus control in ABA about SD, obviously signals availability of reinforcement and really conditioning ourselves as SDs where our staff feel free to come up and ask us questions. When I do a training, I don't want my staff to be afraid to ask something. And I actually worked diligently for staff to feel comfortable so that they can raise their hand and say, Hey, Nick, I'm, I'm not understanding what you're saying. And, and that forces me to look at what I'm doing and uh, trying to explain it in, in a better manner, but just creating an environment in which people can be successful under that's filled with support. That's filled with, again, access to reinforcement SDs as supervisors want to be SDs. We want to be seemingly availability reinforcement. Our staff should feel comfortable coming to talk to us. So I think that's a big thing as a trainer for professional development. What I would encourage everyone to do is if you have the opportunity to step out of your comfort zone and do something different. What I, I did this a few years back, our organization had to do trainings on autism for schools, specifically to five and seven-year-olds, the nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, children. So my boss had asked me to do this. Uh, yeah, you, you do trainings all the time. You can do this. I was like, no, 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 no. Put me in <laughs> 500 adults. I won't break a sweat. 
put me in a room with 10, 70 year olds, uh, you know, I'm going to be petrified. But my boss said, no, I really want to do this. So, and it was, it was this one of the scariest things I've ever done, but also one of the most rewarding because what happened was when I did my first training, I was using a lot of technical jargon and I had actually brought somebody with me to report what I was, what I was saying. So I could listen back. And when I listened back, it was horrifying. I was using words, words like communication and deficit, like 70 year old isn't going to know what communication and deficit. So what it did was it forced me to understand my audience and cater what I would say. And mm -hmm. it's been, that was such a wonderful experience because now I do that. So for example, when I do my BSD train, I'm going to do it this Saturday. I'm, I have a lot of LSAs, LSAs who have never taken an ABA class before. So yeah. I have to modify because of my audience. And I think going through that experience gives you that uh, perspective to do that. Yeah. And you know what? A lot of uh, individuals are getting a 40-hour RBT course that is pre-recorded. There is no flexibility. There's no asking questions. And there, you know, I think that you just hit the nail on the head too on being able to, to make that individualized. That was really, huh, that's really smart. Okay. So. We only have a little bit amount of time. Are you ready for to switch gears and go to the fast five? Sure. I'm going to ask it. you some questions. Rapid fire. What advice yeah. from a mentor do you still use? Not using technical jargon. My first report I ever wrote, I was referencing reflexive condition motivating operations. She said, you have to read the report, look at it through the lens of a parent. I now do that and it's changed how I wrote reports. Great advice. What is an unpopular pul uh, pop culture opinion that you hold? Taylor Swift is the worst singer ever. Here you were going to say Taylor Swift. <laughs> if you could only read one book for the rest of your life, what would that be? Bringing Up the Best in People by Aubrey Daniels. I love mm -hmm. that book. Going to be a manager. I highly recommend it. It's an easy read. It's a lot of great information. I've never read that. Okay. On my shelf. What is one thing that you've learned to add or subtract in your busy week? I've gotten much better at disconnecting from work and all the problems I have there. So if I were to think right now of my, my job and the many problems I have, I'd get very stressed out. Like, oh my gosh, I gotta do this tomorrow, this tomorrow. I have now gotten much better at just disconnecting when I leave work. It's taken me about 15 years to do this. So it's not something that I was just able to switch, but I've gotten place where I can just the stress at work. I know it's going to be there for me when I come back. So no need to dwell on it on my time away. Yeah. Sage advice. Do you prefer to make plans or be spontaneous? I'm a behavior analyst. So I, of course, like, <laughs> I like to create conditions in which that will be successful for me to enjoy what it is I want. Okay. Well then let's plan on skydiving. In Dubai at some point, <laughs> I'll come on out there. I'll do it. I'll do indoor skydiving, but the jumping out of plane thing, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nicholas. Where can people find you? So, uh, LinkedIn, I've always told you to feel free to follow me. Um, I'm hosting all the updates at my center. I try to be, I try to update as much as possible. So you feel free to do that. Also, if anyone ever does find themselves by, please shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Come on by my center. My center is incredible. I'd, I'd, I'd love to give anyone a door finds himself here. Oh, love the team. Well, thank you, Nicholas. Have a good rest of the day.